Why don't you uh, turn to Zechariah chapter four for our text. I have a scripture and a, a teaching. It's a shorter teaching today. I know, shock of all shocks. Um, but, uh, but it's one of those teachings, I wanna keep it short, but I, wanna, I hope it, it, it hits us you know, kind of as an important thing because it's one of those teachings. Um, well, my dad used to say, he had this saying that he and I both knew what it meant. And it had to do with an attitude in which someone receives information. And, and we used to call it the yeah, yeah, yeah. The what? Have you ever met a person, you're like, you wanna tell them something, you start telling them, yeah, 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 I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it's like there's people that yeah, 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 the whole life, and they, they're the clueless one. They're not the one listening or learning or hearing, just yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I, I worry that there's scriptures and, and truths that sometimes I have that same propensity because I know it and I've known, known it for so long that I'm kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is one of those scriptures you've sang. It's one of those scriptures you've read and heard. Maybe if you're not even a Christian, you might've heard this phrase uh, because it's pretty, uh, pretty famous. It's Zechariah chapter four and it's verse six. Zechariah four, six. It says this, then answered and spake unto me saying, then he answered and spake unto me saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's that phrase, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. What an important theme. This is rudimentary uh, uh, for Christianity to, to know that um, without him, how much can we do? Boy, this is making me nervous. Like three of you knew the answer to that. That's a problem. I know it's early. We'll give you guys a break this service for being early and stuff, but you did have coffee and donuts. So um, yeah, uh, the answer to that is how much can you do apart from the Lord? Nothing. The Bible says without him, we can do nothing. But with him, how much is possible? Everything. All things, everything, everything's, uh, you know, it's amazing how um, this is just a truth from the scripture. And so here in our text, when the Bible says it's not by, you know, might nor by power, but by my spirit, say the Lord, this is something we need to acknowledge. And, and, and you know, the problem is the older we get, the old, uh, as Christians, you know, sometimes we start to think that we uh, have done something of our own ingenuity or our own willpower or, you know, stick-to-itiveness. And, and we start to uh, take credit. And some of you might even be thinking, well, Brett, I have worked hard and I have done some things on my uh, own. But you gotta remember when it gets down to the very basics, who gave you a brain? If, if you actually, in fact, well, never mind, I won't say that. <laughs> who gave you lungs? You know, who gave you feet to walk and hands and who made your hands work? And, and you know, who, who keeps your heart beating? Like, that's an amazing mystery to me. Your heart just beats. Uh, that's the Lord who does all that. So when, when we start taking credit, saying, well, I did this and I did that, um, you know, it's an interesting thing because really uh, the older I get the, and the more I think about it, if I'm, if I'm cognizant of it, I realize, wow, really without him, I can do nothing. But here's the thing, that, that when we find success or things are going well, you can, there's that ever so tricky little uh, temptation to start thinking, well, you know, I've done some pretty good things. Um, I heard a, a statement that was interesting. Um, there's a big fad right now, um, which is interesting to me to, to watch. I've been sort of a student of this fad. Churches have fads that come and go, and it always cracks me up because eighth and Greek, we've just kind of been the same uh, all these years and watched these fads come and go. But one of the fads, you know, back in the 90s was the seeker-friendly church and, and growing church growth. George Barna uh, was writing all about church growth and marketing the church. And I was thinking, well, that's weird. Uh, back in those days, I thought that was weird. Now there's a group, the same group, Barna, and all those same people are saying, mega church is evil. There's nothing good about mega churches. Like the, it's so funny to watch the ebb and the flow of church uh, stuff. Um, meanwhile, we've just been teaching the Bible and we started out with zero and uh, the Lord by his grace has grown it, not because of our might or by our power, but the Lord has just done a, a neat work by his grace. Um, but in this one podcast, I was listening about the evils of the megachurch and stuff. Uh, and there are evil megachurches, I'll admit that. Uh, it's just funny how um, they, they throw the whole cluster in any church that's over 2,000 is considered a megachurch and, and they're all evil. You know, that's kind of the, the trend right now if you listen to your podcasts and stuff. But this one podcaster uh, was making this point. Uh, uh, basically, it was the Christianity Today podcast that was saying, um, that, you know, if you uh, are a, a person who goes out and thinks you, you can just go start a church from scratch, you have to be a narcissist. 
I was like, wow, I guess I'm a narcissist because I went out and started a church. But see, they're forgetting some things. Um, they're, they're making this uh, statement uh, that's kind of interesting. When, when I started you know, and, and prayed about it, and my, my wife and I decided to move to the most unchurched city in America at the time in 1996 was Portland, Oregon. So we thought, well, um, man, I, I don't have much to offer. Uh, but I'm willing to take my Bible and, sh and share what the scriptures say. And I believe there's power in the Bible. Uh, and I don't believe, and, and, I, and I was very uh, dubious. I remember thinking, man, I'm probably gonna be flipping bur burgers at McDonald's. Uh, you know, like how am I gonna survive and support my family? And we just had no idea what we were doing. Um, but we felt led by the Lord to do something uh, that was a, a venture of faith. Um, and uh, it's funny how people will shape things. And I think our younger generation listens to these podcasts and goes, oh, everybody that starts a church is a, is a narcissist. You know, and, oh, that's what they said on the podcast, so it must be true. But I think that a lot of us were actually, um, it was quite the opposite. Um, Deb and I, when we started, I remember wondering if anybody would show up. And, and, I, and I thought I wouldn't even show up. If it, you know, like that's the way I was, like if it were me, I probably wouldn't show up either. You know, like, um, and, I, and I remember thinking, Lord, if this, if this works, it's gonna have to be you. And then the longer things, by the way, the first Sunday we had 20 people on, on um, the September 6th, I think it was 1996, 20 people. And um, it was great, 20 people, was, that was something. I was like, wow. But um, there was a lady there, I think her name was Roberta, and she had nine children. So half of the people that were there, <laughs> and as it turned out, she didn't like our church, and that was the last Sunday she was there. So our church went from 20 to 10 the next Sunday. <laughs> The incredible shrinking church. Uh, and uh, I remember feeling, wow, that I just cut the church in half and it only took one week. Uh, uh, but, but, um, but, you know, by God's grace, um, we, we've seen the Lord bless and do some really amazing things. And, and if, you, if you really know the heart of Athey Creek, um, we're amazed that any good thing happens. And, and our leadership, we all scratch our heads thinking, wow. And, and, and the Bible explains it for us. It says, the Lord chooses to use the weak and the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So we all know we're qualified for that. Weak and foolish, that's our qualifications. Um, but, you know, it's funny, the same people that, uh, you know, are, were touting how to market the church and how to grow the church, to me, that was sort of narcissistic. Um, and they're the ones now saying that everybody's narcissistic. It's like they're, they're, it takes one to know one kind of thing, you know, and it's kind of amazing to watch this ebb and flow and the pendulum swing and church trends and stuff like that. Um, forget church trends. I've never been a big church trend person, um, but I have been an Acts chapter 242 person. What did they do? They continued steadfastly. Uh, with the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Those were the things that they were really into. And uh, that's what we're into. So um, it's by the grace of God and every good thing at Athey Creek and every good thing in your life. If you've done anything good, you have to kind of realize um, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit, saith the Lord. In fact, James um, 1, 17 uh, says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variables, uh, variableness, uh, neither any shadow of turning. I love that in James 1, uh, 17. But um, the, the idea is um, every good thing that the Lord does, it comes from the Lord up above. And, uh, and I love that it says there's no variables, no, no changing in him, he, he never changes. So his goodness is not gonna turn to badness. Um, I heard a, um, a thing, there's a, there's a guy who's the World Economic Forum, you know, he's there, the darling of World Economic Forum. He loves to go and speak and the, you know, Bill Gates and all these people at World WEC uh, and Davos and all these places, they love the speaker. But the speaker, he's a Jewish guy who goes around and his whole argument is that um, uh, we've made an assumption that God is good. And he said, that's wrong. God is actually bad and he's evil. Uh, and, and then he goes on to this whole thing. And because God is evil, uh, humanity doesn't really matter. And we, don't, we have no reason to exist. And then he kind of starts making these arguments about, um, you know, uh, that, that because we're just mindless people that are running around and we're gonna come and go, you know, we really don't matter. And so we should really focus on the people that make a difference and everyone else uh, doesn't really matter. And, and it, it seems like he's arguing for a depopulation of the earth. Um, if you follow this guy, there's, there was a big article on him last week that it was, it was a little bit stunning. But as it turns out, um, you know, uh, um, the Bible tells us God is good. And you know what? I've found that to be true my whole life. God is good. Even when I see bad things happen, even when I don't understand what's going on, I remember that the Lord, he is in fact good. Well, um, I wanna go over a few mistakes that we make when it comes to this notion, not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Let, let's, let's go over, you, you can jot these down if you want. Um, and the first one is uh, mistake number one, jot this down, that we attempt to do what we do apart from the Lord. Um, that's the first one. We attempt to do what we do apart from the Lord. Um, when, when you start taking a venture of faith, you gotta make sure that you're going with the Lord on this one. And it's so easy to get ahead of the Lord or to kind of think you can do stuff even though God's not in it. Uh, you know, he's given you uh, enough ingenuity to do it yourself, so you do it yourself. Um, that's one of the big mistakes when you, when you kind of forget this. Man, it's not by our own might, our own power, but by my spirit. The classic poster child of this is Abraham. Abraham, there in the book of Genesis chapter 16, you know, uh, the Lord promised Abraham in, Abraham in Genesis 12, I'm gonna make of you and Sarah a mighty nation. It's gonna be the Jews. And he promised the Abrahamic covenant. You know, God says, I'm gonna give you a son through you and Sarah. But you know, in chapter 16 of Genesis, Sarah's saying, man, I'm, I'm 80 years old. Are you kidding me? Um, uh, you know, and you think we're gonna have, a, you know, a child, Abraham? That, that's, I mean, the Lord, the Lord needs a little help here. And so Sarah says to Abraham, I tell you what, I, you know, here, here's my handmaid, Hagar. Now this is, this is a woman they picked up in Egypt. Remember when Abraham went down to Egypt? That's a whole nother story. Uh, but uh, you know, Pharaoh ends up giving them all kinds of stuff and sends them out. And one of the things that they got was Hagar from Egypt, uh, her handmaid. So she goes, okay, Abraham, uh, go into the tent and you and, you and Hagar you know, have some little romance and she'll bring forth the child uh, and uh, we'll kind of help the Lord along. So Abraham's like, cool. And so he goes in and he and uh, Hagar uh, have intimacy and she becomes pregnant. And um, you know, it's interesting because um, trying to make things happen, like it, it does seem kind of ridiculous that an 80 year old woman would have a baby. Do you remember the story when, uh, the Lord shows up with Abraham and the two angels and the Lord's talking to Abraham, but Sarah's hiding behind the tent door. Remember the story? And, and the Lord says, um, you know, Sarah's gonna give birth to a child. And Sarah to herself quietly kind of is laughing in her heart going, am I really gonna have a child? <laughs> She's laughing. And the Lord says, Sarah, and she comes out from behind the door. Yes. And, he, and the Lord says, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And he said, yes, you did. And then they just went on with their conversation. Like that just cracks me up. That's one of the funny, play, you know, Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. Yeah, you did. Um, the Lord knows, it's like the Lord knows everything. Yeah, I saw you laugh. Um, but, um, uh, but be that as it may, you don't blame her really, do you? For, for laughing because she's 80. So she tries to make this happen with Hagar and, and Hagar gives birth to a, a little boy named Ishmael, not the promised child that God talked about. And Ishmael and Hagar, well, as it turns out, um, you know, Abraham's like, cool, I've got a son. This will all work out great. But the Lord says, Abraham, that's not the son. It's you and Sarah. And sure enough, Abraham and Sarah end up, you know, uh, having a child. And, and at the ripe old age, 10 years later, at the ripe old age of 90, uh, Abraham's already 100 now. Uh, and at 90 years old, Sarah has a child and they name him Isaac. Uh, you say, well, that's, that's impossible. Um, remember, the whole Bible's full of miracles. We don't have a problem with miracles. And can a 90-year-old woman have a baby? Yes. Uh, if God wants to do it, all things are possible. And it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So Abraham got ahead of the Lord trying to help the Lord along. And that's the mistake we make. We, we attempt to do stuff apart from the Lord. Uh, you're thinking we can help the Lord out or, or get what we want even though it's not really what we need. And uh, that's a huge mistake that Abraham made. And by the way, classical mistake. Uh, and, um, and think about the payment of those kinds of mistakes. What do you pay when you make that mistake? Well, just ask Abraham. Um, you know, Isaac and Ishmael, they, when they were little boys, they, they started to quarrel and, and Ishmael was picking on little Isaac and treating him badly. And, and Sarah says, that kid's gotta go. And so does Hagar. And so Abraham pulled Hagar and said, man, you gotta leave our camp and, and see you later. Uh, you can't be with us anymore. So poor Hagar and Ishmael, they're kicked out of the camp and where are they gonna go? Well, the Lord shows up and says to uh, Hagar, I'm gonna take care of you guys. And your son Ishmael will also become a mighty nation uh, and he's gonna be a wild man, but he's gonna be a mighty nation nonetheless. And, and who is the father of the Arab people? It was Ishmael. Um, and it's interesting that because if you see the quarreling that took place between Isaac and Ishmael, that quarreling never really stopped. It's the Arab-Israeli conflict to this day. The descendants of Isaac, that's the Jewish people, 
the descendants of Ishmael, that's the Arab people. And so even this week, when you see the, the things going on in Jerusalem, there's some violence going on. The Palestinian, uh, you know, Hamas down in the Gaza, uh, those are the Arabs uh, fighting with Jews. They're still, that's Abraham's mistake, still in live color today. I wonder about uh, you, have you made problems for yourself that you didn't need to make because you attempted to do what you do apart from the Lord? I'm always a mistake. Anything I've tried to hurry along or make happen by my ingenuity or my manipulation, I always end up sort of paying a price for that. And the Lord's saying, man, I want you to do what I want you. That's why Jesus, who lived perfectly, he said, I always do the will of the Father. Um, so all that to say, <clears throat> you know, I, I find myself praying uh, for myself and also for this congregation. My prayer, you might be a little bit... Um, offended really at how this pastor prays for his congregation, but I, I pray that you will be unsuccessful in your attempts to do things apart from God. And I pray that for me too, because that's never gonna work out very good for us, doing stuff apart from God. It, it, you end up being Abraham and Sarah. Um, I think I see that on so many different levels as a pastor from my perspective. One of the big ones I think is, is um, our poor singles who really, really wanna be married. And I know not all singles are that in that you know, position, but I've noticed there's some that just say, man, I really wanna be married. And, and they're willing to sort of acquiesce. What do you mean, Brett? Well, that, I've seen it, the young girl, uh, she's, she says, oh, I'm getting older and my biological clock's ticking. I'm 23 and I'm old now and, 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 um, and I need to get married. And so she goes and finds some guy with a pulse. Yeah, but is he a Christian? Is he a leader? Is he gonna lead you in the ways of the Lord and bring Jesus into your home? Uh, well, I'm sure he will be. I'm doing, I'm missionary dating right now, you know? Uh, I'm sure he'll be a great Christian once we get married. Uh, like that always works out. Uh, no, never almost ever. Um, uh, that's getting ahead of the Lord, making something happen. And, and we have to be careful with that one, rushing into marriage, but I love him. Uh, be careful with that. If you're saying that and your parents are saying no, and your friends are saying no, that's the amazing thing. It's amazing on that particular one, how many of your friends and family will say, something's up here and you gotta watch out. Um, but there's so many people that just kind of blow that off and and that, that ends up, I bet there's a, a few of you in here, don't say amen here, but um, that would say, <laughs> yeah, uh, you should have probably, you should probably listen to Pastor Brett because a lot of people are living with that mistake um, even, even to this day, and it's, it's, it's tough. That's just one example. Business ventures, trying to make stuff happen apart from the Lord. Um, and that ends up being a, a catastrophe. So attempt, um, uh, attempting to do what we, we do apart from the Lord, that's mistake number one. Mistake number two, it's, it's this, being unaware that it was the Lord in the first place. You know, we, we forget that when we're doing something and maybe even when, when you were starting out, you were aware of your shortcomings and your weaknesses. And so you were praying, oh Lord, help me with this. And the Lord helps you with this. But shortly thereafter, you start thinking, look what I've done. You know, I've done a pretty good job here because of my ingenuity and my smarts. And, uh, and I'm actually doing pretty good on my own. I don't even really need the Lord because look at I'm doing it all by myself. Meanwhile, the Lord's making everything happen behind the scenes and you forget that it really is the Lord that's giving you the strength and the wisdom and the right decisions. It's all the Lord. But as soon as you forget that, oh man, it gets you into real trouble. Just ask Samson. Samson's the poster child of that. You know, he was, he was given amazing Marvel comic level strength. Uh, like this guy was, he was amazingly strong. Um, and it's because the Lord called him a, 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 apart from being just a normal dude. He was set aside as a Nazarite, as you know the story. <clears throat> Three main things. The Nazarite <clears throat> was never to let a razor come to his, his hair and cut his hair. He was also not to touch any dead thing, but he's also not to drink wine or have raisins or grapes or even hang around near a vineyard. The Nazarite was to stay away from anything having to do with vineyards or wine or anything like that. So, so that was Samson and the Lord blessed him with superhuman strength, like it was incredible. Now, one thing that I think is a misnomer that when you were a little kid and you colored the Samson coloring picture in Sunday school, <clears throat> remember he was always Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, out just kind of all buff and huge and stuff. I don't think that was Samson. I bet when we get to heaven, we're gonna like, who's that little 135 pound dude in the corner over there? Um, and they'll say, oh, that's Samson. Why do you think that? Well, do you remember the Philistines? They were constantly asking, where in the world does he get all the strength? Like if he looked like Arnold, people don't look at him like he's just a really strong guy. Um, but they always were asking, we don't get it. 
How is this guy able to do that? And it was the constant question. But we know the secret to his strength. Well, it, it actually is a phrase that correlates with our scripture text this morning. Every time Samson did something great, it says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. So it wasn't his bulging biceps, it was the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he did this and he did that. In fact, uh, there in the book of Judges chapter 14, um, you you read this in verse five and six. You can jot this down in your notes. Remember where he's going down to Timnath? It says, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. Uh, That is like a, he he ripped this lion in half like he would have just a a little tiny lamb. That's the idea. Um, And he had nothing in his hand, no weapon. And he told not his father and mother what he'd done. He'd killed this lion. And remember the story, he went later, scooped some honey out of the dead carcass of a lion. So now he's already done a couple things. He was walking through a vineyard. He was scooping honey out of a lion. Those are the first two Nazarite vows he was already breaking. Uh, and and he's, uh, he's, the only thing he's really yet to do is cut his hair. But the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And so he's, he's thinking, oh, that's all good, you know. Um, but, but not only the spirit of the Lord coming upon him to kill a lion, do you remember when he wanted to marry the girl from Tunef? And he, he gets a bunch, he hires a bunch of friends because he doesn't really have any. So he hires these guys to come and be his friends, 30 of them. And they were Philistine dudes. But he was really looking for a reason to thump on some Philistines. That's the true reason why he was doing all this stuff but he's gonna marry this Philistine girl. And so he gets this party together and he casts this riddle before them saying, if you can solve my riddle, um, I'll give you guys all a set of clothing. Each one of you guys, like you know, get, get you all set up. And the guys are like, okay. But behind Samson's back, he goes to his, his they, they, these guys, these 30 so-called friends, go to the fiance and say, tell us the answer to the riddle. And they keep going against her saying, we're gonna kill you and burn your house down and your families. And so she finally tells them the secret riddle answer. And, um, and then they come and say, Samson, we know the answer to your riddle. And they told him the answer. And, and Samson said something I wouldn't recommend for you husbands, uh, the way you refer to your wife. Samson said, someone's been plowing with my heifer. <laughs> That's an idiom of the Bible. Uh, somebody's been talking to my wife. Don't, don't say that uh, for you modern day uh, gentlemen. Uh, be that as it may, <clears throat> someone's been plowing with my heifer. And he knew that they got the answer from his, his bride-to-be. So this really makes him mad. So now he owes these guys clothing because they figured out the riddle answer. So instead of going to Nordstrom's and putting it on the credit card, he finds 30 guys out on the street and slays them bloody, brutally, kills them all, strips them of their clothes, brings the pile of clothes and throws it down at the 30 guys and say, here's your new clothes. Blood soaked and, you know, I mean, like, like there's a little bit of a statement there, I think. Um, but when he did that horrible thing, you say, that's horrible. But as it turns out, check this out. This is Judges 14, 19. It says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave the change of garments to them, which expounded the riddle and his anger was kindled and he went up to his father's house. It was again, his strength came from the Lord, not by his might, not by his power, but by the spirit of the Lord. That's how Samson did what he did. And the story goes on and on where he does these feats of strength. We could talk about the gates being carried to the top of the mountains, 30 miles away, city gates, not your little picket fence gate. These are like gates like our barn doors back there. Um, He carried two of those up a hill 30 miles to the top of a mountain. Um, He tied a bunch of foxes tails together and put torches between them and had them run all over catching everything on fire. Like he did crazy stuff. Every time he did, spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. But then as you guys know the story, it gets kind of sad when Samson, he's just kind of doing his thing. And I think he's convinced himself. People, they read the story of Samson, they think, what an idiot. Like he must've been stupid, but I don't think he was stupid as much as he was like us. What do you mean, Brett? Well, remember when he finally meets Delilah, the prostitute, and he keeps going down to her house night after night. And Delilah's a hired gun for the Philistines. She's, she's gonna figure out a secret of his strength and then, and then have the Philistines come and arrest him, kill him or whatever. So she you know, gets them all in the house and lulls them to sleep. Okay, Samson, you just go to sleep there on his, her knees. And she says, tell me the secret of your strength, you big boy. And Samson says, well, if you tie me up with ropes, I'll be weak like any other man. 
So she lulls him to sleep and ties him all up and then wakes him up and says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up and pops the ropes off like threads and crushes the Philistines right there. Um, the next night, Samson goes back to Delilah's house. You're like, see, he's just dumb. No, I think there's more to it. We'll talk about that in a second. The, the second night, Samson, you've mocked me and told me, that was a great joke you played on me, the new rope thing and everything. What's the real secret? He said, oh, it's not new ropes. It's actually, if you take green widths or green ropes um, that are freshly you know, woven, then I'll be weak like any other man. So, okay, you just go to sleep, Samson, good night. And she ties him up with green ropes and then says, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And he jumps up and pops those ropes off like threads and crushes the Philistines again. The next night, she's even more whiny saying, Samson, you don't really love me. You haven't told me the secret of your strength. And he said, oh, okay, okay, okay. If you take my hair, now this is where we're getting a little, little dangerous. He's starting to talk about something that's a little closer to home. If you take my hair and you weave it up with a weaver's beam, that magical process there of weaving my hair in a weaver's beam, then I'll be weak like any other man. Okay, Samson, you just go, hey, somebody bring in the weaver's beam. They bring in the weaver's beam and bring it into Delilah's house. And, and now if you look up a weaver's beam, this isn't just some little uh, hobby thing. It's a weaver's beam, a big, huge beam with a, a, a loom type thing where they would make like sweaters and stuff. So Samson, you just go to sleep. So he falls asleep and there he, he is, you know. He's just sleeping there. And, and there she is, shink, 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 shink. He's just weaving up his hair. Like, this is hilarious when you think about the Bible story. Come on, Brett, Samson's just stupid. <laughs> I think Samson is not stupid. I'll tell you what, I'll, in just a second. Well, you know, the Bible tells us that she does the same thing. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up and the weaver's beam, the Bible said, is still in his hair. So he's walking around, boom, 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 the weaver's beam. And, and he still crushes the Philistines again. Well, the next night, <laughs> Delilah's like, you hate me, you've mocked me, you don't even love me. Um, and, um, and the Bible says that she wearied him with her chalking and chiding against him so much that he was wearied unto death. I'm not gonna say anything about that. Um, so, he, so he finally told her, he said, here's the secret. If you cut my hair off, there's never been a razor that's been brought to my head. And he said, okay, Samson, you just go to sleep. Good night. Now again, you, you say, Brad, no, he's just stupid. He's an idiot. No, I, I think that he's making the, the fundamental error of this mistake that we make in the same way. This mistake of being unaware that it was the Lord in the first place. I think somehow he'd convinced himself, forget the Nazarite, I already, already drank wine with the Philistines. I was hanging out in vineyards. I already touched a dead thing. And look, my strength is still here. It must just be that I'm the exception to the rule. I am not really gonna get busted for this. Um, somehow I am superhuman strength. I've just been blessed. Maybe it's the genetics, maybe it's this or that. But somehow he'd convinced himself. I don't think he's stupid as much <clears throat> as he thinks, I don't really believe that it's the Lord that is my strength. I think I've done it myself. I think it's of me. And we know that for sure because of this final thing when she, when she does this. In fact, I'll just read this. This is, this is Judges chapter 19, where it says this, uh, pardon me, Judges chapter 16. Verse 19 says, and so she made, Samson made, uh, pardon me, Delilah made Samson fall upon her knees and fall asleep. And she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he did not know that the Lord was departed from him. That's the sad part of this story, man. He did not know that the Lord, you might even say that the Spirit of the Lord, every other time says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. But this is the time where it didn't. The Spirit of the Lord did not come upon Samson and he didn't even know the Lord wasn't even in him anymore. Verse 21 of chapter 16 says, but the Philistines took him, poked out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. Samson is the poster child of the, of the person that makes that fundamental flaw of not really understanding where his strength came from. It's not by might, not by your power, but by the spirit of the Lord, saith the Lord of hosts. Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, as you read the story of Samson, 
you know, the, the problem is he, he started to believe it was his own ability. Do you do that? Do you make that mistake? Because you'll find yourself in over your head where things will happen and you really don't have the strength when you thought you did. And, 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 and a lot of the successes we had before are gonna be the thing that make it, see, look, I'm doing this. I'm doing this by myself. All the successes Samson had before were actually just the spirit of the Lord coming upon him. So all that to say, man, we gotta be careful. You know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting how, uh, it's, I think it's an older person that gets this wrong mostly, not just young people. Because do you remember when you were younger, all you older folks, um, you still had enough humility where you're like, phew, I'm glad that worked out, that was lucky. Or praise the Lord, I was successful at that business venture. Or, you know, thank the Lord that it's worked out or that I actually graduated. Uh, thank the Lord for that, phew, barely, awesome. But, but somewhere along the way, you kind of convince yourself, you know what, I did that. I was, you know, and, and people will tell you that. There's plenty of people that go, look what you've accomplished with your life. Look at all the amazing things you've done. Um, and you can tell, like this is an older person's uh, mantra. You know, look how far I've come. Look how much I've done. You know, work hard, put in the time, little blood, sweat, and tears, and then you'll be successful like me. That's kind of what old people tend to say. But when they were younger, you remember, oh, that was actually, wow, thank, glad that worked out, whew. And, and you might say, well, it was just a lucky string of events. Well, no, it, it might just be that the Lord was looking out for you. And any good, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, the Bible says. Well, watch out for that mentality. Um, in fact, Psalm 75, verses six through seven says, for promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge he putteth down one and sets up another. Um, man, that's, that's the Lord who raises people up. Don't, don't forget that if you're being blessed or raised up into power, if you're a CEO or the boss, or if you've been successful athletically, don't forget the Lord is the one who, and, and you know this to be true. We've seen people go up and down, come and go. And a lot of people thought, well, I would never fail, but they end up failing because they think it's their own might or power. So point number two, being unaware that it was the Lord in the first place, that's kind of a, a problem, a mistake. Now there's another mistake kind of related to that that I'm gonna talk about in a minute, but let's go to mistake number three. Mistake number three, <clears throat> not attempting anything because you, th you don't think you can. You're afraid um, because you don't really realize it's not by your might. See, this is kind of the opposite of the other, you know, uh, attempting to do stuff apart from the Lord, that's presumptuous. Um, being unaware that it was Lord in the first place, that's pride. But the other side of the coin here is that there's a lot of people say, yeah, I'm not, I don't know enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. And so you don't do anything because you're afraid that you, you don't have enough talent or gifting or skill. But see, that's, that's equally a mistake when it comes to this because it's not by your might or your power, but it's by the spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Those that don't think it's the Lord um, will be timid um, to, to step out with new ventures of faith. I don't have the skills. And the answer to that is none of us do. Um, you know, uh, I, I remember starting teaching the Bible. I'm so thankful that I started teaching the Bible when I was 12 years old. Because I didn't know any better at the time. I, at the time, at 12, I thought, well, there's low expectations. Oh, he's a 12 year old, he wants to teach the Bible. Okay, let the cute little kid teach the Bible. Um, and nobody had expectations. I think I would have been afraid if I were an older person saying, I'm now going to exposit the Holy Scriptures. Uh, I'd be, nah, I'm not gonna do that. And so that's what some of you are thinking right now. Like, I'm not gonna go share the Bible or teach the Bible. I don't have the knowledge. Well, welcome to the real world. None of us have the knowledge. Like the Bible, here's this holy book that's perfect. And whenever a human handles it, we mess it up. But good news, the Lord says, I will use the weak and the foolish to confound the wise. Even when it comes to the teaching of God's word, um, I love that the Lord uses people that are very flawed. Um, and when you realize it's all the Lord, that, that, that tends to give you a little more confidence to step out to do what you're called to do. Just ask Moses. Moses is the guy who thought he didn't have the talent or the gifting, you know? So he didn't wanna do something that God was telling him to do. I, I can't do it. Remember there in the book of Exodus, um, it's quite a story there where the Lord, you know, the burning bush scene where Moses is content just to be a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere, Midian. And the Lord comes to him in a burning bush, says, Moses. That's if you watch the Cecil B. DeMille's version. 
you know, and he takes off his sandals for he's standing on holy ground. And, and then the, the Lord says, Moses, I've called you to lead my people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And you remember what happens after the Lord says that? Moses argues with him for like three pages in the Bible. It's just this back and forth, but, but, but I can't, I don't, I don't have the time. Who am I to go talk to? Who am I? And the Lord says, who am I? That's what the Lord says. Moses keeps saying, who am I, who am I? And the Lord says, who am I? And then he says, but, 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 but I stuttered. I, I'm, I'm slow of speech. I'm not a good articulate speaker. And the Lord says, who made your mouth? Like this is funny conversation where Moses is just whining about how ill-equipped he is to be the leader. And the Lord's saying, it's not about you. It's about what I wanna do through you. It's not by your might, Moses, or your power, but it's by my spirit that's gonna make you do one of the greatest things that have ever been done. Like you gotta give it to Moses. He leads 2.5 million people out of slavery um, and wanders in the wilderness with that group of people, tent camping for 40 years and brings them right to the doorstep of the promised land. Like that's an amazing thing. But Moses would be the first one to tell you, man, that wasn't by my might or by my power, but it was by the spirit that he was able to do that. Um, and man, we could go on and on. In fact, um, you know, our text here, let's go back to uh, Zechariah chapter four, verse six. Our text here tells us this verse. Let's read it again. It says, and sh- uh, um, oops, I'm on the wrong page. Gotta get the right page. Um, uh, it says, then, He answered and spake unto me saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel who? Remember Zerubbabel? um, Now, if you're a Jewish guy, you'd say Zeruv Babel. That's the way you'd say his name. But but, um, we could call him Bubba for short. Uh, But he's the guy, remember, he's the guy that built the, the second temple period temple. And we've talked about him before. You know, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, those guys all part of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel was mostly about the temple. And that's what we know him for. And, and here in Zechariah, the reason his name comes up here with this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, say the Lord of the horse, hosts. Why, why is Zerubbabel brought up here? The answer, he's afraid. And he feels like he doesn't have the materials. He doesn't have equipped uh, equipment and the talent <clears throat> and the wherewithal to finish the temple. Um, and it's true. He's got enemies all around him that want to do him in. He's got uh, lack of resources, and it's not going to be as glorious as the Solomon temple. And he's got all kinds of things. Now, Zerubbabel had already started the temple by this time, but it's been sitting unfinished for 16 years. So Haggai and Zechariah come on the scene. Come on, you guys, you got to get going. And, and you can almost hear Zerubbabel saying, I can't, man, we just don't have enough resources. And I, I just, I, we're gonna get killed by our enemies and it's gonna be, this is scary. And, and here's Zachariah saying, don't you understand Zerubbabel? It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit. See, the context of this verse is our mistake number three that we're talking about, where people don't do stuff because they think they're, they don't have enough talent or equipment or wherewithal or resources and they make the mistake of not attempting anything because they're afraid. Hope that's not you and I hope that's not me. I wonder how many things you and I have missed out on because we're afraid. Maybe you're a college student, you know, and, and, and you got that college professor that's constantly bashing the Bible and talking about all the flaws and errors of scripture. And you're just an 18 year old kid and your professor's this, you know, ancient old guy that's been saying the same thing to a bunch of 18 year olds for the last 30 years. And he's got his little atheist arguments all down and you're like, who am I to say anything to this professor? Man, he's just gonna shred me academically, intellectually. Why would I say anything? Remember, it's not by might, not by power. And I might add, not by your own intellect or brain power. It's by my spirit, saith Lord of hosts. I wonder if, if maybe some of you have missed opportunities to just be bold and speak the truth. And it's not just the college student. I feel bad for the college student because these professors get away with murder. They have a very thin veneer of argument that looks very impressive, like they're airtight, solid, but you break through that veneer and they have horrible arguments and they're really weak. Um, I, I just wonder, but it's not just the college student. It's, it's today, man, everybody's being silenced. In fact, we have a new part of our Department of Homeland Security that's checking for accurate information. And uh, it's, it's definitely gonna be unbiased and it's gonna be amazing to make sure that people like me don't teach things like the Bible. Uh, that you, I'm telling you, man, did you see what happened like a couple days ago? Uh, these are interesting times. Um, I'm smelling jail time maybe for coming for me uh, here in the near future. Uh, just send a cake with a hacksaw on it and I'll be fine. 
But um, th- that's the problem is, is I think people are afraid to stand up and just say what is true today. And a lot of Christians, well, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't have enough intellect to, to hang with these people. But you gotta remember, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Mistake number four, and this is our final mistake um, that I wanna cover. And that is this, um, uh, well, oops, I forgot one thing um, that I wanna say. Remember the old, um, um, whoops, uh, the, the statement, there's, a, there's an old statement uh, that, that pastors I've heard over the years that God's commandments are his enablements. And that's an important thing to remember. Don't, don't forget, if God says do it, then, then he'll give you the wherewithal. So Zerubbabel, he was told build the temple. And so he, he does it and the Lord blesses him with that. Don't forget that. If you've been commanded to do something, maybe it's something as simple as I want you to teach Sunday school, but I don't know the Bible very well. That's a great way to learn the Bible. Study up and prepare for your lessons. And it's amazing how much the Lord, not by your might, not by your power, the Lord will give you understanding of the Bible. It's, it's sometimes I think that, that'll only come second after your willingness to do what God's called you to do. Well, be that as it may, I gotta get back to my uh, points here. Number, mistake number four, taking the credit for what God has done. That's also a mistake. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. So when you say, look what I have done, See how it's related to point number two, being unaware it was the Lord in the first place? That's the mistake Samson made. So he just kept on going, thinking it was his own strength and he ends up being totally wiped out. But even more importantly, there's a, there's a thing where, where pride creeps in. And you start looking at your life saying, you know, I've done a pretty good job. And it's pretty subtle. And it becomes so subtle that sometimes you're the last one to see it, but everybody watching from the outside, well, as it turns out, um, you're the last one to see it, but they all see it. Um, it's been said, you can accomplish anything in this life as long as you give God all the glory and all the credit. Um, and there's no stopping what a person can do as long as they want God to get the glory. But if you wanna stop your ministry and success, then start taking the credit for it. That's a good way to put the brakes on your successes, take credit and glory for it. I, I remember the story of a farmer who uh, was... Uh, take, uh, taking the, you know, uh, a patch of ground uh, you know, in the Midwest and making it a, a fruitful farm. He had you know, fields of alfalfa and hay and, and uh, some cattle. And he had the pastor and his pastor's wife came over for dinner one night and the farmer took it, look at, look at my alfalfa field, you know, look at this. Uh, and the farmer says, oh, the Lord is so good to make this alfalfa grow. And the farmer said, yeah. yeah. And he took him over to the hay field and said, look at all this hay, we just bailed this up. And, and uh, man, that's a lot of work out here we did. And the, the pastor, oh, the Lord is so good to get, bring you this hay uh, and, and make it, you know, so you have a, a way to sell and, and earn some money. Lord is good, praise the Lord. And he showed the cattle and, and, and the, 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 again, the pastor's like, oh, praise the Lord. And the farmer, somewhat frustrated, he looked at the, at the pastor and he finally said, pastor, I wish you could have seen it before the Lord was doing it by himself. Now see, some of you might say, yeah, Brett, that, I, I feel like that farmer, come, I've done some work here. It's not just the Lord. Um, and you might see a certain truth in that, but here's the thing you have to remember, is um, that uh, the Lord is the one who gave you everything you need to do. The, the, like, let's take the farmer, for example. He gave him the back to work the field and, and he gave him the brains to know how to raise cattle. And it starts before the, the ground was even tilled and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes we end up, you know, uh, forgetting and, and, and we, we start taking the credit. I think Nebuchadnezzar is the cl- classic example of that in, in uh, Daniel chapter four. Remember that? Where Nebuchadnezzar is walking through Babylon saying, look at the beautiful Babylon that I have built. Look at this amazing city that I have made. And the Lord, the Lord causes Nebuchadnezzar to lose his marbles. He ends up becoming this, well, it's, it's a condition called boanthropy where he takes on a, a animalistic behavior. Like he's, he's schizophrenic to the level of, he suddenly thinks he's a cow and he's out chewing the cud with cows out in the field for seven years. Can you imagine people riding by in their chariot and they're like, who's the guy out there on the all fours with the cattle? Oh, that's our former king. Uh, he, he's out there thinking he's a cow, moo. Um, but after seven years, Nebuchadnezzar gets his mind back and he says, that was my bad. Every good thing comes from the Lord. And he said, those who walk in pride, the Lord is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that lesson the hard way, taking credit for what God was actually doing. Um, and, and trying to do that stuff apart from God is a huge mistake. 
Um, there's, it's not only that you might fail, you, you, might, you might even see some success, but you won't find the fulfillment in the things you're doing unless God is the one doing it. Like you wanna make sure that everything you're doing, you're doing heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, Colossians 3 says. Um, let me finish with one more passage. Why don't you flip over to John chapter 21. There in the New Testament, Gospel of John 21. There's, there's a story there of um, Jesus. And it says here in John 21, after, it's John 21 verse one. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at, um, at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed himself. They were together, Simon, Peter, Thomas, and Didym, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. Now this is a mistake, Peter. God already gave them direction. Jesus told Peter and the disciples where they were supposed to be and what they were supposed to be doing. But it wasn't fishing. So Jesus is now, he died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave, and, and now Peter's saying, I'm going back to my old job before Jesus came to me. You see the problem here? I'm going fishing. And oftentimes when you do that, you're a bad influence on others. It says here, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they, all the other disciples said, we'll go with you. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately and that night caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said unto them, children, have you any meat? In other words, did you catch any fish? And one of the great miracles of the Bible, fishermen answering accurately. <laughs> they didn't you know, try to tell about the one that got away or any of that. They said, no, we haven't caught anything, no. Verse six, and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. And they cast therefore, now they were not able to draw in the net for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, the, um, that disciple whom Jesus loved, anybody knew who that was? Who's writing this? This cracks me up. The disciple that Jesus loved, yours truly. <laughs> um, it says, the disciple Jesus loved, whom um, said unto Peter, it's the Lord. In other words, John's saying, I'm the one who first recognized it was Jesus. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in, the little, in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire with coals and their fish laid there on with bread. By the way, um, for, there's vegans around here in Portland. I, I learned this when I moved up here that there's a lot of vegans and they, they think that uh, having meat is murderous to fish. I, I remember a West Lynn Tidings article that came out uh, when I first moved up here and I was shocked. Um, it said, message to all the pastors locally here. And I was like, oh, that, that's me, I better read this article. And it was a lady saying, we need to have pastors start talking about this horrible thing we're doing to our brethren. I'm like, what are we doing? Sounds horrible, what are we doing? And they said, we gotta do something to our brethren, the, the animals. We have to stop murdering animals and eating them. And it was this whole thing where pastors need to start teaching about veganism and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this lady didn't read her Bible. Jesus had a fish on the seashore and he was frying it up. He murdered a fish. By the way, do you ever wonder what Jesus' fish tasted like? I bet it was really good. I mean, he's a good chef. He did all things well, the Bible says. But, um, uh, but I digress. Uh, you know, you gotta understand, this is, this is, I get hung up on this. You know, I'm from Southern Oregon. We, we think about animals differently. If, you know, you, if you're in Southern Oregon and you have an animal uh, in the front yard, you know, what, what you do is you shoot it, you kill it, you eat it, and then you make a hat. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's more the way I grew up. Um, but be that as it may, um, <laughs> uh, so he's there with the fish frying on the, on the, on the, the griddle, grill there. Um, verse, verse 11, uh, it says, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, 153. Do you ever wonder why the Bible gives us specific numbers? Like who cares that it was under, they had already said it was a multitude of fishes. Why 153? I believe every word in the Bible is there for a reason. We don't all know the reasons, but this is one I wonder if we found out back in the 70s when a marine biologist did a big study uh, in the Sea of Galilee of the fish and the fossils and all the evidence, guess how many species of fish there were in the first century during the time of Christ? There were 153 species of fish they found. I think that's great. The same number here of this story, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, especially when Jesus was saying, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And the idea is all men of every 
race, kindred, tongue, nation. That's a great illustration. But, uh, but anyway, um, I love this invitation. It says, verse 11, so they pulled the fish, 153, and for all there was so many, yet not the net was broken. And here's the key. Jesus said, verse 12, unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing it was the Lord. In his resurrected form, here's Jesus. Now, here's the thing as we close. Um, Jesus was the thing that they needed. Jesus was the one that made their life worth having. As soon as they went and did their own thing, their own way, um, by their own might, by their own power, they went back to the old thing they were doing, fishing. They found themselves empty, lacking, not contented with life. But as soon as the power, which remember Jesus is part of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus came back into their life and suddenly they had fish. It's not by might nor by power. And the disciples had to learn this just again, that you, you, know, you don't start doing stuff in your own energy, in your own efforts. You have to trust the Lord and, and make sure he gets all the credit and the glory for what he's done. And by the way, as we close, the one thing that this verse is more true than any single topic, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, there's one truth that's extremely important that you need to know. And that is of all things you don't wanna mess this up on is your own salvation. Because you cannot save yourself from you know, hell and make it into heaven by your own strength or power. Of all the things you mess up on in this life, don't mess up on that one. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And that's of course why John 14, six declares Jesus, you know, he said, I am the way, the truth and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's Jesus. He's the one with the power that gets you into heaven. So make sure and don't try to be prideful thinking I'm good enough. I can make it into heaven by my own ingenuity. Bible says, no, not one person will do that. So of all the mistakes you make on this truth, don't make that mistake. You gotta accept Christ, recognize you're a sinner before God, that's repentance, and then accept the gift as Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose up from the grave, and lives to, to ever intercede on your behalf. That's how you get to heaven. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen?